0: Welcome to the Old Chats pod with me, Amesha here. And me, James Factor. This podcast will tackle the taboo topic of mental health in a raw, honest and jovial way with two good mates who've met in London talking about their own mental health hiccups with some help from some special guests along the way.
1: Welcome to episode six. This is the Teacher Chat. Here we speak to English teacher and rugby coach David Sharkey about mental health in schools, the psychology around empathy and how sport can play its part.
0: Mesh, how are you? Easy factor. Can you hear me? Oh. Can you hear me, Mesh? I can't hear you, mate. Can you hear me? I can hear you. It says my microphone's fine. I can hear you, my headphones. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I realised that I clicked then. I was like, oh yeah, I haven't turned my headphones on. It's a good
1: gag. Gets to me every time. I go looking around my laptop like, oh, where's my...
0: That wasn't, yeah, it wasn't even a gag movie, stupid. How are you doing, mate? You're all on.
1: Right. Yeah, I'm all right. Not too bad. Just had to hurry back from the gym, doing my row ergs. Oh nice, is the gym open? Is your gym open? It's open now. It's very, it's quite empty, so it's a good time to go. have you been this week?
0: Uh, yeah, no, it's a bad mate. It was the First time I left London last weekend, it's pretty good. Just some mates from home. Like, it's been in your mates class, isn't it? But yeah. yeah. have you been? Yeah, I've
1: been fine.
2: What's the crack, lads? What's happening?
1: David Sharkey. How are you? This is the recording studio. This is where it all happens. You're looking at my, my parents' bathroom right now. The, this is where the recording yeah. happens.
2: Mate, some strong curtains there. I like that curtain game. Very, you tell your parents I said that.
1: Very 70s vibe. <laughs> old, old vibe going on. Okay, it's all good. Okay, well, so we've got here David Sharkey. Uh, can we call you Sharkey? Throughout this episode, David, that's how we we know you.
2: Yeah, yeah. Please, please, please do. If you call me David, I'm gonna have to call you. Yeah, so. Coach
1: Coach Coach Sharkey is here from uh, from our club, the HAC. He's very kindly agreed to come on the show. Uh, Sharkey's he's a teacher at Ship Lake School at the moment. He's on holiday and uh, he's also helping us out uh, down at the HAC with our pre-season. So, Sharkey, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Factor. What a lovely lovely introduction. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a real pleasure to be on. As I, I said to you guys before, like it, it is an honor to be on uh, because what, I think what you're doing is really really important. And again, I think you're you're, you're kind of uh, leading the way, you know. And I think there's, I, I think it'd be cool if this can not only can just start a dialogue, continue within the club, but can branch out outside of it to other clubs or you know into workplaces or whatnot. Uh, I, I do think it would be really powerful, so I'm I'm, I'm honoured to be on earlier. Yeah.
1: Well, we're very um, we know you're very active, uh, Sharky, in this kind of area at the moment so on social media and, and getting involved in articles and things. So, why don't you tell us just a bit more about how you got into teaching, and then what you've sort of picked up from that experience along the way so far.
2: Well, I got told the other day that my I'm losing my accent, so uh, just in case. No, no, thanks, Meshi. You're our first uh, international
0: guest, here, uh, Jockie? So, <laughs> oh, oh, that's actually true.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So I'm I'm obviously uh, from Ireland, uh, and I trained over here as a teacher about uh, 12, 13 years ago. So I was uh, in university in Dublin, and I, I kind of I've been out to Australia a year either side of uni, and I was always looking to become to get into teaching. So, getting into teaching Ireland is quite tricky because there's so many people who want to do it and not enough spaces. So, I actually looked at, at London, and part of my rationale was that, well, if I could survive teaching in inner city uh, in inner city London, I should be okay uh, going back to uh, to Ireland. So, yeah, I, I, I trained I trained over here, and I worked here for about three or four years, and then I actually did go back to Ireland. and went back to my old school now, Clongowes Wood College, uh, which is a boarding school, just outside about 30 miles outside of Dublin. Uh, and I remember going back into that and a kid asking me, oh, so is, is, is this school like the schools you taught at in London? And, you know, just to give you some perspective, the, the boarding school I went to and I went back to then to work uh, is, you know, 99% white, you know, 99% Catholic, old boys boarding. And I was like, no, not quite. Uh, pretty pretty different, very, very diverse. Uh, And actually, that was one of the reasons, I suppose, I I actually ended up coming back to the UK two years after that. So I went home for two years, which was great. And then I came back and I've been at Shiplake for the last six years, Shiplake College in Henley. And I've actually really missed being in London, even though Shiplake's not too far, uh, just outside of Reading. Um, I I did miss being in London. So I've just taken up a position starting in September as a teacher of English at Hampton School. So uh, really looking forward to, to kind of getting stuck into that in a few weeks You mentioned about how did I get involved in mental health, or how how am I, why am I interested in this sort of area? Well, I don't have a personal story, you know, like you guys have been exploring. That's not to say that I don't have interest in those areas. And I suppose lots of my friends in Ireland, again, the issues around mental health and rates of suicide, especially amongst men, are, are so high. And you know, different friends and family members have been affected by those things. Uh, So part of me always felt just a bit useless uh, when these things happened. Like someone would say, did you hear about this? And then we'd all go, yeah, it's terrible. Do you want another pint? And we just kind of move on. And I think as a teacher and as a a rugby coach, I just think I I wasn't doing enough. So about two and a half, maybe three years ago, I started exploring and looking at the idea of actually just within coaching, uh, within like the, the the coaching environments I, I was at, so at Chip Lake at the time, I started looking at the idea of exploring masculinity. Now, I, I felt that was important because it was a it was a male dominated environment that that I was coaching in, and I just thought that maybe we could look at three areas. We could look at mental health, emotion, wellbeing and gender dynamics in sport, uh, because I wanted to give the boys better, uh, or sorry, to give them female role models that they weren't necessarily seeing. So I was going to use clips from the women's game. Uh, We were also going to talk about, you know, our emotions. We were going to talk about mental health. I was going to show them different people in the sporting world and whatnot uh, about that. And and the reason I wanted to do that was because, well, one, I wanted to be able to support my friends and family, again, who had issues uh, with mental health. I didn't want to be just, you know, hope it wouldn't happen because that was not the case. Uh, but I also wanted to support the people I was working with, uh, the young people I was working with. But also, again, you know, now with AJC working with you guys, I want to be able to support people, again, if, if, if that was needed, because I felt why couldn't a rugby club, why couldn't a rugby team be an environment where people can, can, can open up or share or be vulnerable if they choose to? Mightn't be. Uh, the environment but it, you know if if needed that it could be that that was something I was quite interested in but honestly if, if I look at this yourself uh, selfishly and this is where I think people should look into this a bit more is that like who's to say like I, I've just said to you that I haven't had any mental health hiccups or, 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 or issues personally you know that I've really kind of dealt with but to say that's always going to be the case you know, if we, you know, I've mentioned to you guys about stoicism before, and that whole idea is basically just waiting for something to happen. Like, the world is going to break you at some stage. Now, that's a grim thought, that's morbid, but we should be ready for that to a certain extent. And actually, what will happen, I would hope, moving forward, if I find myself in these situations, I'll have a better understanding of the support structures or, or how to reach out or who maybe to talk to. Because if I can be a sounding board for someone, then the idea would hopefully be is that they could be assignable for me,
1: should and when I need it. If we start, um, Sharky, th- thanks for breaking that down. I guess if we start with education first, maybe, and then move on to the rugby side, and then maybe expand it to other areas sort of later on. But just looking at education for now, as I was speaking to Meshi sort of before we started recording this about how when we were at school, you know, you had your, your lessons and then you, you did your tests and everything, but then. I think that there was was an apparatus there to help with people if they had sort of mental health issues, but it wasn't particularly overt and it wasn't part of the curriculum in any meaningful way, as far as I could remember. How do you, and from your schooling experience as well, how does the setups at schools now compare to to back to our day and sort of can it be improved still, do you think, or is it going in the right direction?
2: Yeah, so I think... At the moment in schools, and, and I, I, I recognise that the world factor that you're describing there of your school uh, schooling. Now, I went to school in Ireland the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, which is probably like maybe going to school in the maybe the late 80s in the UK. I don't know. I always think that Ireland's a few years behind or whatnot. But, uh, you know, that environment, again, was there. was there support there? Yes. It was probably a little bit to the fringes. It wasn't maybe spoken overtly about. These things were hushed up. I think there's a there's a real culture of that in Ireland, which I think is changing, which is great. So yeah, I, d- I definitely recognise that, and that's probably something that lies at the heart of my, my desire to change that a little bit more so in schools and, and coaching. But uh, what I think we have at the moment in schools is you've got a, a well-intentioned and, and uh, group of people, you know, staff in schools who are, and that, that goes for all the schools I've worked in over here in Ireland and, and, and in Australia. There's really uh, well-intentioned and real desire for teachers to play their part you know, in this area, to, to talk about these things. I think it probably needs a bit more direction. You know, We've spoken before about, sometimes I think schools, they'll designate one person, uh, usually in senior management, who'll kind of these decisions about what's happening and we'll have a week, mental health week, and then it'll disappear for 51 weeks of the year. And, yeah. and that to me, I just think isn't good enough. I think we can do better. Uh, now, I think, I, need, I think schools and teachers need more support. You'll have seen this over the last few months and weeks that a, a lot of stuff and a lot of our issues in society get kind of pushed back into schools. You know, why didn't we learn this in school? Or why, really? uh, why didn't we learn that, for example, in school? And, and there, there is a danger with that sometimes that we can look at seeing like, like school is the, the kind of panacea to to solve everything. And that's where everything, again, should should start or grow. I'm not saying you you can't maybe start those things, but the one thing we need to be very, very conscious of here is that teachers are not clinical psychologists. Um, So, you know, there are certain initiatives, again, that they could definitely do. And this was something I learned when I started having conversations with men. Do I actually know, like, what if if a kid comes to me and reveals something? What do I do with that then? Like, who do I refer that to? Like, I need to know that. So where I think schools could definitely get better at being would be, being part of hopefully a wider societal shift where we're able to have these conversations like you're having on this podcast uh, like maybe uh, I'm having online or trying to have online or trying to share, connect with people who know more about this than I do. And just, just ask questions and find out, you know, about that. So I think, I, I do think that that could, that can definitely help again in schools uh, with that. And I think, as I said, I think you've got a body of people there who are willing to take this on board and to kind of take this challenge on board my own sort of experience and my own exploration in this area led me to uh, i i'd begun training as a crisis volunteer for shout now what that means is that it's similar to the samaritans in the sense that in this with samaritans you can ring up someone uh, if you're if you're in crisis you've got issues you want to talk you want someone to talk to someone to, uh, to, to listen to what you have to say crisis text line is, is is the same concept except with text messaging so through my training and then completion of that training around September and then volunteering or trying to volunteer at least two hours a week I've learned so much about a whole range of range of issues I suppose that that people deal with, and I I suppose when you're on the platform you're just simply being you're not solving problems you're like it's incredible just to think I've been in I've been in conversations that have been particularly terrifying for me. And again, you, you often risk assess on there uh, about 50 to 60%. And I can, I can tell you this because the, the, my profile breaks this down. It'll give me feedback again on my conversations. My conversations are largely about depression, suicide, and self-harm. Now, if you told that to me a year ago, I would have said, I don't think volunteering is for me. And I'm not here to put people off it. I'm, I'm here to tell people that like, you actually can build up to being able to deal with that and trying to help people and support people as best you can. So, you know, my, my advice to, in a really roundabout way, sorry, Factor, to come back to, to teaching, is that what, 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 I would, what I would hope is that maybe we can get people in schools to be involved, not necessarily with shout, but could they be involved with organisations that are working in this area with mental health? What, what might that look like? What else might you learn? And as I said, I think Schools are ready for that now. Uh, we need direction. We probably need a bit more investment. But I'm glad to say that we're certainly, it's very different to when, when it was when we were in school.
0: Just echoing what you said there, Shaki, I feel as if a lot of people use the whole education thing as a bit of a scapegoat. Like, for example, the Black Lives Matter thing. Like, yeah, we should like broaden our history, but history lessons, what, maybe an hour a week for a lot of people? And if you don't give teachers the utensils to do that, then what can you do? Because the way that I see it is, I, think, I don't think I've ever was taught about mental health and stuff until maybe the odd time on like a Wednesday morning you have like class periods but that wasn't until I was in like sixth form I think maybe we might have watched a video here and there I think remember I was going to school Terry Newton the rugby player committed suicide Gary Speed and like Kurt Cobain back in the day mm. like you kind of know yeah, yeah. about it but you don't know why they've done it or there's a reason behind it they don't really it just gets glossed away
2: it's funny you mentioning that because I, I actually think that the danger is is that if you go to the Black Lives Matter movement you say cool we're going to we're going to promote uh, we're going to talk more about uh, Britain's uh, Britain's colonial past, which I think is important. But if you think that and renaming stuff and tearing down statues is solving that problem,
0: yeah.
2: that's an issue <laughs> because that just becomes the tokenistic thing. So, in the same vein of if I stand up and say, "Well, every Wednesday, I you know I give a talk uh, for thirty minutes on or show them a video on mental health," and then we're ticking that box, that's an issue because, as you say, people might engage with that. So, can we give students and young people in school and outside of school in their sports in whatever it is they're doing on television like whatever it is they're interacting with can we give them opportunities where this stuff is talked about where this is destigmatized, where again we become far more aware and people are 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 open about these things because if we just if we're looking for that you know that the silver the silver bullet if we're looking for that just to fix everything uh, we'll be waiting a long time and I think the more that we ways in which we can kind of tackle this the more open we can be I think the better young people's you know prospects will be.
1: It sounds like um, Sharky from that that that's where I guess for you sport and coaching really comes into it because then if you've got sort of if school can only do so much you know there's only so many hours in the day you can teach kids with if that's a, another kind of pillar especially from for boys you know for men, but also if for girls as well if that's um, a pillar that can also lift that load, then it's something that we can all really try and promote. The the rugby for us could actually be that as an extracurricular outlet as well. And it's I I've never thought of it in that way before at all. Really, it's been you you exercise and then through that you're getting you know it's me- it benefits your mental health to exercise anyway. But then the idea that that would actually be part of a well-being approach, which actually encourages a dialogue within it is, I think that's a really positive way forward. So how do you see that fitting into the whole, whole structure of it?
2: Like you you guys are doing that. You're, you're, you guys met through a rugby club and you're having these conversations and you're going to, you're open to those other conversations and you connect with people within the club and outside the club through sport. So, like sport is just another mechanism by which we get together and, and hang out and socialize and interact. Like that, that's literally all it is. Now, I know we love it and there's different aspects, you know, of sport that we we, we sort of build up in our heads, but ultimately that that's that's really all it is. So why, why couldn't it be an avenue by which we would have such conversations? So for me, the, the project that looked at masculinity was originally designed... Kind of in the aftermath of a high profile rape case in Ireland uh, with two uh, rugby players who were, um, who were accused and then ultimately acquitted uh, of, of of raping this girl. Now, while they were acquitted of rape, um, their, their actions and behaviours and their WhatsApp messages uh, that were shared publicly uh, or shown at the trial and then shared quite publicly put rugby very much so in the dock. And at first I was really defensive and I was like, hang on, that's, that's not the rugby, that's not, you know, the the values and the things I know. And then I kind of stopped and went, well, are there certain things that are true there? Could that happen? Does that happen? Are are elements of that true? And the more I started to peel away, the more I felt, well, we probably should have conversations. Why not at least have conversations about it? And when I started looking at that, I started looking at the idea of, and again, it's a term that's going to trigger lots of people you know the term toxic masculinity triggers lots of people um so i also didn't want to use that term with young people because i didn't want to kind of brand them as being like it, it's sort of starting from a negative footing straight away so i use the term redefine now other people have have had issues with me saying why do you need to redefine masculinity there's lots of masculinity it's good i was like yeah absolutely like i don't mind we, we can have a we can chat about the semantics i'm an english teacher i could do that to the cows <laughs> but ultimately as long as we're having the conversation that's fine so with that, I wanted to use sport as a vehicle where we could have conversations about, first off, about of looking at masculinity. And then I thought, actually, let's broaden this out into looking at how maybe uh, boys and young, young men interact with women and how they talk about women. And then it branched off into, well, actually, if we're going to redefine masculinity, surely we should talk about mental health and emotional well-being. So this idea, I, I, like I, I heard, so Greg Popovich, who's the uh, NBA coach at the San Antonio Spurs, he's won um, numerous... Um, NBA championships and whatnot. He's kind of legendary coach. He's sort of a Phil Jackson sort of figure uh, in in many regards. And he he's famed for bringing players into a situation. And I've heard them speak about this, where they thought they were going to be watching game footage, and they ended up talking about the civil rights movement. He showed them a documentary on the civil rights movement. Said, "Geez, things are still pretty crap for black people in this country, aren't they?" And they were like, "Are we not going to talk about like the Miami Heat or whatnot uh, at the weekend, or you know what happened?" And he was just like. This is actually more important. And I kind of thought, well, why couldn't I do that? Why couldn't I maybe just have a conversation or, or put in front of them a clip about like Brené Brown's, uh, it's animated, uh, her clip on empathy and sympathy. Like I've used that so many times and I show that to them. So what's the difference between empathy and sympathy and empathy? And we have a discussion about that for 10, 15 minutes. And then we go play rugby. Like like I'm seeing them for two hours on a Wednesday anyway, because it's a long session and like you guys have been in my sessions, you know, they're okay. They're not, I probably don't have two hours worth of content in me. So I definitely think we can move that conversation into that sphere. And I think we can move it into other spheres.
1: Doing a bit of research um, and a lot of the mental health research that Messi and I have been doing, not just for this show, but for previous ones, it's actually been around young people anyway. So this just works well for this chat because you're dealing with young people. So it's come up. But the one that, so we were struck by different things. The one thing I saw was that we, we're careful also on the show, we talk about mental health to kind of distinguish between like depression, mental health issues, which, you know, more biological, maybe genetic, something that's away from anxiety as an issue. And so that distinction is actually through so research that's been done has shown that levels of you know bipolar depression quite quite severe cases has stayed largely the same throughout the last hundred years but anxiety and however you wanted to find that anxiety is way up even in the last 10 years it's 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 up hugely and you know people point to different things i mean social media is one of them that that gets brought out as being a kind of maybe a pariah i don't know but it's something that really they point to from your experience with it, how do you see social media fitting into it? Or do you think it's a wider issue than just that?
2: Yeah, I think, I think it's a really, really good point. And I think one thing that's actually one of the first things I might have conversations with young people about, either in a sporting or just in a teaching sense, is to talk about the difference between mental health and mental illness. Uh, and just actually just talk about some of those terms, terms that maybe they're hearing a lot, maybe they're, they're misusing. And better than have me talk about that when I have, let's say, you know, uh, someone maybe who's experienced those things or maybe a clinical psychologist or someone who works in that space to come in and just to talk to us about those things, just so we can know what that means. It's really, really useful. That's a really interesting point you make about anxiety. And and, and you hear that quite a lot, you know, that that is kind of accelerating and it's the nature of our lives and putting ourselves online. Like even just to take, again, your podcast listeners uh, won't necessarily appreciate this, Just being on zoom a a lot like i don't know about you but i've not really had many conversations where there's a mirror to my face all the time while i'm and that that is a bit that's a bit unnerving and another thing i found certainly in relation to my anxiety and technology is that i like when you're a teacher you're on all the time i've I've now explained what we're going to do you now go away and do that when you're doing that on zoom you're still in charge of that you can still check in click into the document and see what they're doing and I found that really draining. I found that really, really hard. To bring it back to, I suppose, to, to, to mobile phones and, and social media, I definitely found that I needed to detach myself, I think, from my phone and from social media. So to get rid of some apps or to delete them or to have certain structures or routines. And the big question I ask if someone, like people often say like, oh, social media is not that bad. And I'll go, cool, what's your routine? And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, what's your routine? You open up your phone, tell me the routine that you go through, they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, you open your phone and you'll click on WhatsApp, then you'll go Twitter, then you go uh, this, then you go Snapchat, then you do, they're like, what? what? And then suddenly when you, you, you ask them to think about it, they come back to you about a week later and go, yeah, I've got a very defined routine. I said, well, it's probably, <laughs> it, it's mad, probably yeah. a good idea maybe for you to change around where the apps are in your, your phone, just to break that routine, just to challenge it a little bit. And I often say that to, 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 to young people as well. And the reason I do is that, we in Shiplake about three years ago, uh, the headmaster there, Greg, uh, Greg Davis, he, he's since he's since moved on. But he came in and, and he was very pro technology at first. So I remember teaching in Shiplake when kids had their phones on the desk and they were when they looked at their phones, say, I'm just looking at the just look at the time, what's your problem? Like and I was like, oh, Okay, right. Uh, do we want technology? Like take a picture of that. And it was useful in some cases, but he then made the decision to just get rid of
1: phones. Um I'm I'm amazed that that was ever, sorry to jump in Chuck, when I hear about that and that kids at any age really, to have that on you and out on the desk, like maybe like a Nokia brick thing where you, you know, we, even we can have those, but to have like a smartphone out there where you know, even from work, how tempting, even at work, I would say some areas you just got to take it away because how can you be focused when you've got your phone out? Like every generation's going to have different potential aspects that
0: could like affect their mental health. I'm pretty grateful that social media wasn't big until probably sixth form. When you're like sixteen, seventeen, you kind of understand it. School can be such a trigger. Like I found it like, for example, picking your A levels or picking your GCSEs. And like my school, it was a great school, but it was all like you have to go to university. You have to you have to decide what you're doing before you pick your A levels. Like I didn't know what degree I was gonna do until probably when I had to end my UCAS. And that's why you're in like such a was, uh, you're a very powerful position, Sharky. like, you're like one of the Avengers, but like, you've got a lot of you. you, you as a teacher, like, if you love teaching, if you, you literally, my you nah, it, oh. it definitely would, it definitely would. <laughs> but like, as a teacher, you're in a position where, like, with any job, like, if you want to get over and beyond, you can definitely do that, and you can obviously impact a lot of people's, especially younger life, and they're probably easier to mould. Three quarters of the problems are established by young children before the age of twenty-four. So obviously, schools are. Zero, well, six till 18, It's a lot of time that you have with um, students. But yeah, if you can educate them from a young age about mental health, mental health issues, illnesses, it's just going to benefit them in the long run.
2: Yeah, like w- we talked there about you can't push everything into schools. This is definitely something we should be talking mm-hmm. about in schools. I, just, I suppose I think we can yeah. do it better. And also, we also need to see it as we can't just, it, this can't just be a tick box exercise. Like this can't just be a oh, you have, to, you have to do this. Like, there's enough, I think there's enough people who are passionate about this to create something that's genuine, that's uh, worthwhile for students to kind of engage with. And the big thing about social media is that like, you know, social media can be used, again, well and responsibly. So the question is that mm-hmm. in schools, can we teach students to use it responsibly? Banning students from using their phone is one yeah. part of that. Uh, can we actually get them to then use their phones responsibly can we have workshops where they they understand the the ins and outs of that like for me the stakes are high if if students get that wrong like they can make decisions uh, as young people that maybe have we made as young people that will have lasting repercussions because of the nature of the internet if they share you know an image for example uh, that they they can never get back or if they whatever it is they might say or do there's a permanence to that and that's terrifying, and it's important that again, teachers I think take that up. But it's yeah, it's it is tricky. And I think you're right that teachers we have a we are have an important role to play in many cases. I remember when I started doing the, the the project around masculinity, when I was explaining it to coaches, the guy was kind of looking at me going like, "But that's not going to help him improve his pass." Like, <laughs>
1: yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it might, but it might yeah. do. That, that's the that's the thing, isn't it? It's that the, the performance, like the, the pitch part of the game, and it's starting to come about more now at like professional levels. I can't believe there'll be a team now that doesn't have a performance coach or someone on the team to deal with the mental part of not just sport but just in life in general. And the thing that's what I was alluding to for the school part of things, saying that just making maybe you can't be. Uh, there's no golden bullet, you know, to sort of fix all these issues, but having at least some of the curriculum time or or even just, you know, get people into talking assemblies or whatever, just about the idea that this is a thing. And it's something that, you know, you may never need to look into it, but when you are older and an adult, you know, this is gonna, as well as your grades and as well as your, you know, your sporting ability, this is gonna affect your life, your quality of life at some stage down the road. And as you said, Shaki, with the whole the stoicism approach, you know, remember, you will die one day. School, schools, as far as I was, when I was growing up, they're not designed to address that at all. They're there to to make you the best person academically and and, and sporting-wise and, and socially as well. But they're not there to tell you that life's going to be shit sometimes. I, I didn't particularly have that. But see, that's kind of what your whole approach is, isn't It's is that, you know, just bear in mind that, this is going to go wrong at some point and it's not it doesn't have to be like A stars all the time that's part of growing up maybe there's certain assumptions that are made about young people i think a lot where sometimes we assume that
2: their life is great and wonderful and their future is ahead of them and that's wonderful and exciting and school is a good time for them that can often be true at times for for some of those people but for lots of students their life experiences are are tough and are difficult and they've dealt with certain things in their life and for me to breeze in saying like oh come on like you know you have it easy you know your generation like breaking it down that's not helpful for them that's not gonna that's not gonna sorry that's not gonna you know help them get to you know feel better to be more motivated or to learn more and I think we probably need to have more uh, individual conversations with with young people where we can connect and realize that I think having having spoken to Uh, Suzanne Brown she was working with Arsenal Women's as a a kind of sports psychologist now she was great to bounce ideas off and and she brought up the idea of attachment theory and the idea of again as you said the development of young people and what they'll establish by the by their early 20s you need to sort of tackle things there now with attachment theory it's about who are the sort of bonds or connections that young people will attach to that's largely again their parents Uh, their mother obviously there's that sort of you know biological connection again uh, with them uh, almost immediately now those form very very early now by the time almost you're seeing them in a secondary school environment like I am young people will often cite sports coaches or teachers as one of the people very very high up on their list that they will confide in. now that's a that, that 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 is that's an honor again and that's a privilege to, to be in that position but that comes with lots of responsibility and i think it's important for teachers to be supported with that but also know that listen just because they see you in that light doesn't mean you're not there to yeah, solve so their fair. problems go back to me yeah, and yeah. shout the first time someone is talking about you know uh who texts in who's having a a moment where they're so low they're having suicidal thoughts uh, and I'm panicking and I'm texting my supervisor who's supervising me going like, well, what do we do now? And they're like, listen, just go back to your train. Like what's, what's the next step? How do you, how do you ladder them down? Listen to them. And I, I can't say this enough, listening to people, genuinely listening to people and making them feel heard is so important to actually just deescalating those really tense situations and for building you know, lasting connections and relationships moving forward. And I think if we can do that with young people as teachers, as, or, or people who are in their lives as coaches or whatever it might be, or their dance teacher, or, you know, you take taking for art, or whatever it is, or however you, you work with, or you're interacting with young people. Um, I think the better they'll be uh, for that.
1: I think you point out really well, the idea that with progress with this, you can, I think you can do a lot very quickly with it, but then you, and we should do that. And we can do that through having more t- talks and open dialogues about it just helps a lot of minor or medium-sized mental health issues. From, and Messi and I can attest to that. You know, that was part of the solution to getting getting over them. But then, as you say, you do reach a, a point where, you know, there's only so much that a teacher or, or anyone else in society is expected to get to. And we we need to be realistic about that and point out that these are you know, we're not trying to solve everything in one go, but this side of things at least gets us to that kind of threshold. And then we can have a look at it again and see, you know, where masculinity and anxiety and and mental health, where these all slot in. But in the short term, there's a lot that we can all do just, as you said, to make sure you're that person that other people were possibly coming to just to have a chat or just to say something that they may not have said previously, because you never know in this kind of the storm of, you know, things going on, which one of those things is going to be the thing that, that really puts you in a dark spot rather than just having a bad day. So I think it's good for you to, you know, to point that out and, and highlight the difference. And there's only so much we can do, but we should definitely get towards doing as much as we can. Some people quite often
0: all like pass, pass, what's the word, Past the blunt, past the blunt. Pass the blame to an extent. Um, pass, pass, the, pass, pass the book. Pass the, blame. Pass the, yeah, pass the book. Blame pass, pass pass the the part. book. <laughs> pass the book. There you go. Pass the book. There we go. Sorry, got the end. But yeah. But basically, in the sense of a child, for example, if you're a teacher, a child opens up to you, and the teacher might think, oh, they've got to solve all the problems, like you say. But I remember at school we had a school nurse. Like I think it'd be great in the future if, like, say, you have a school nurse and maybe like a school counsellor or something coming up like, once a week, or you, know, you can have like mm-hmm. anonymous bookings and things like that. Like if schools actually invest in that sort of time, I think there'd be a very surprising amount of people that actually use it.
2: I think you need, to, uh, you need to create a support structure where it's not hinging on one person. So I mentioned it earlier where yeah. often someone in a senior management position is given this task, this huge task, and it's one of the other 27 things that is demanded of them as a, as a, as a member of senior leadership. Uh, and invariably, because they're juggling so much they can't give the due attention to the, to, to the issue. And my, my issue would be is that it's too important to have, be on one person. And again, yeah. often people in, who are making those decisions are saying, oh, we're going to put a, our best man on it. Someone who's really important, who's very high up in the school, who's seen as that. That's all well and good. What about the rest of their job? Because this is huge. So I think you're right, Meshi. If we can create better support structures within schools – what if we, we give opportunities for students to come forward and we encourage them to do so. Now it's an opportunity. If the, if I'm not the person they want to confide in and or if there's no issue, then I can't be gone. Well, no one's talking to me. Yeah. So I, I, am I doing it wrong? Or like there, there might be an issue there. There may not. But as a psychologist told me before, when I spoke to her about this, she said people have built up walls for good reason. You need to give them a good enough reason to bring, to bring them down. And if you're not that person, don't take it personally so in some cases like where the other avenues where other aspects of the, the school so is the yeah. tutor maybe having similar types of these conversations is their maths teacher someone again who's open to these things has someone in assembly a, a member of staff spoken about their own personal issues with it the school counselor comes in weekly is someone there so they have different avenues and they go well i don't like mr Sharkey because he's whatever but like, I appreciate that he's trying to do whatever, but actually this is the person, like if we give them enough avenues, if it's all riding on one person, I think the stakes are too high.
1: And, and sports should, sport should come in and put its hand up and be, and be that option if they need it.
2: Well, why, the, the question I'd ask is why can't it? Like, yeah. I, 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 I don't want to kind of blow my own trumpet here, but I didn't do, like, it didn't take a lot for me. I had a 15 minute conversation once every week on a Wednesday or every two weeks. It was some resources where it was like, we, we put, um, we put uh, the Gareth Thomas video about him and his sexuality and coming out again to, to his teammates. It was a Guinness ad there a few years ago. We showed them that and we talked about, well, what must that been like in his mental health? Yeah. Now, you're bringing in the conversation about mental health and you're also bringing about the conversation about sexuality. And we're doing this in, a, in an environment, a rugby dressing room environment, a, a rugby team environment where this doesn't happen that's not like, I don't see that as being difficult. We yeah. could have a, you could play a two minute Guinness ad. And again, I'm, I'm not, I'm not getting any sort of sponsorship by Guinness here just because I'm Irish. But, sure. uh, <laughs> there's, you can play a clip for two minutes and have a conversation for 10 minutes. And then you can go play rugby. Like for, for me, I think if we think about it well enough, if we pull enough resources uh, together, I think we could, we could, why, why can't you have that conversation in a sports environment? Like, in fact, you mentioned last week on the pod um, about a kind of, was it a whiteboard at work or something where you might talk about again, how you are feeling or issues again? Like, yeah. What, why, why wouldn't we, for example, at the HAC, bring a whiteboard down and people could just talk about like, like what's been shit, like what's been shit for you this week?
1: For, I don't know how other people would respond, but for me personally, I respond to someone else showing vulnerability. Yeah. And then with I, and then that's said I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll show that as well. And then, that connection is is a lot stronger, so that 's why I agree with you that sports uh, as a as a vehicle for that should definitely now be seen as and and for amateur sport as well that just goes without saying now at, at a sports club and I think that will help combat the kind of the image issues that you were talking about you know earlier that has, has certainly with rugby has been has been part of it in the
2: past one of the actually the most powerful things i I think I did with the the group that I was coaching. So they're an under-15, under-16 group. And one of the best ones was that we talked about why Why do you play rugby? So it, it, the same sort of idea. And I started, so uh, I, I shared this article with you guys, which I wrote up, the, the same one that's kind of come around two years uh, two years on. So I, I wrote that almost two years ago. And it's now being shared the last few days in, in, in New Zealand, uh, with one of their sports organizations down there. And that talked about how I got into rugby. Again, how my old man gave me the choice between Irish dancing and, and rugby. And I was eight years old and I chose, being stubborn, uh, I chose Irish dancing. And uh, I did that for about three weeks. And then I eventually said, okay, let's give rugby a go. And I've, like, I've never looked back since. Now, part of that story was that, you know, four years later when I was 12, my old man passed away. And I told them that story. And that, I suppose, me being or, or, or revealing that uh, was hugely important for them. And when they went around and talked about their why, some kids say like, oh, because I hate football. And then so that's fine. That's grand. <laughs> that, that could be their why, their reason why. And then another kid talked about again, how when he plays rugby, his mom used to bring him to rugby and she used to call him, she had some nickname for him and she passed away last year because of cancer. And I was sitting there going, okay, I knew that about him. I knew some of that. I knew his mother had passed away. I knew that was a, a, like a, clearly again an issue again in his life but i wonder how many yeah. people didn't know that in the room and and could like that was a very simple way for us just to and again people choose to take that it's the opportunity to share it or not to share it. but if you don't create that environment you don't allow that and i think in some case you got to try and model it and again i'm not saying i was modeling it the best but i was trying i suppose uh, as best i could to share that or to open up um i did have a i had a coach who works in a he, who coaches it at a third level uh, at university. And he was, when, when, he, when he read some of the stuff that I was writing about it, he kind of said, oh, you know, I've tried to sit down and get them to give, you know, to share these things about why they're, like, you know, tell them three good things about them, sit down, they just take the piss. And I was like, well, because because they're going to. Like, it, like you got to create that environment first and then that allows people to do it. If you try and set it up by going, this is what we're going to do, then the, 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 the barriers might come up because it's a, it's a macho bravado environment, but if you start and create yeah. that first off, I think you can you can go somewhere a lot deeper with the group. And it's weird; that it's not to create performance, but it can definitely drive performance if you have the cohesion.
1: Um, yeah, and it's up to I guess it's the teacher or, or coach or to, they have to start that, don't they? they? have. I mean, do you think that that's okay for that? To, I mean, say you're with a group of. You know 14 15 year olds for, and you're talking about the stuff that you, you went through with your dad and, and how that's influenced you i i know as a kid that you know i would listen of course to a teacher who sp- spoke about that and that i imagine would really inspire me or, or get me to be part of the team idea do you think that that's where that's kind of where it's going at the moment from what you've seen
2: so there's a great line, like I know you guys, you, you, you boys both read uh, English at university. Are you guys familiar with the, the History Boys by Alan yeah. Bennett? So yeah. James Corden was the, was in it years ago in the movie version of it, but there's a great line in that which says, one of the hardest things is for, is for students to see teachers as human. And one of yeah. the, the hardest things for teachers is to not tell them. So, so in that instance, I suppose, what I've actually learned is, is that you are playing a part you're playing a part. And again, I'm sure lots of my students will listen to this podcast, but you're playing a part sometimes where you care like that they're late or their shirts not tucked in or that like these things. These things don't really matter. And it, I had to yeah. have that conversation with students this year about when, when we were doing the school was closing. And I said, listen, I know this. I know your GCSEs, which I've been saying are really important for 18 months now. They're actually not that important because when we look <laughs> at the sorry. grander scheme of things, they were sort of complaining about going, like, "Oh, this is terrible. And how are they going to calculate our grades?" And I'm not going to because I've been doing this. And I said, "Well, I suppose if if they give you your grade, whatever it is, and that helps to like if if that makes it easier the NHS to function, so they can save people's lives, that's probably a good thing." They were like, "Yeah, I suppose that is actually put in perspective." But <laughs> <laughs> what teach what teachers sometimes have to do and I think this is something I've definitely done I've consciously done this is that in lessons or opportunities where I can just drop the mask a little bit so they can see me as human I try to do that now you're not crossing a boundary you're not revealing something that you shouldn't it's nothing inappropriate or whatnot it's just you yeah you're reframing how they see you and I think by being open and vulnerable yeah, that that's that's dangerous. That's difficult. You know, I've heard of teachers who've come out in assemblies and stuff like that. Like that's that's yeah. particularly evil and, and putting themselves out there. Not everyone should be doing that. But can you let the mask slip a little so they see you as human? Like, I remember what it was like when I was picking my subjects. I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. Uh, or I remember when I did this. Or you just give some detail. Now, in that instance, I told you it was about me playing rugby or being an eight-year-old or me being a 12-year-old and dealing with something, you know, something that some of them have gone through. Now, that's not to say I've had the same experience with them. They suddenly go, oh, wait, he's a—he's actually a person outside of this. And by humanizing, you, you, you're hopefully creating more of those connections and you're inviting more opportunities for them to share.
0: It's like what, yeah, it's exactly what we said last week in the sense of, in any organization, it comes from like a top-down process. Like say in the workplace, senior management or like, Supporting the environment the coach. And like when you sent us the article and we read it a couple months ago, Sharky, I was like, We've only kind of known each maybe a year, year and a bit. Me reading that, I was like, Do You want to play for someone more? Or like, like I said, it's just like humanizing it in the sense of, Oh, I wish I knew this before. Like, I don't know, it just it brings out some of camaraderie and obviously it normalizes it. But a hundred percent there'll be people within the team or within like the school who have lost a parent. They need someone to speak to, but they want, I don't know, they need some sort of encouragement like with mental health
2: Mm. yeah listen when when you open up like that has to come first you can't just you can't have trust without being vulnerable first off and i think that creates that empathy so people often mistake people often think that empathy is feeling the same as someone else it's not because like how on earth would i know what your life is like like i can't i can't know that and even if the situation is similar so for example if a kid has gone through something similar, they've lost their father. Well, what if their relationship with their father wasn't like the relationship was so with mine? True. Then yeah. it's, a, it's a very different situation. So empathy isn't about um, yeah. feeling the same as someone else because that's impossible. It's just, it's accepting someone else's truth, so it's like taking their perspective. So the question I actually asked those lads, and again, this, this all comes from, from Brené Brown, uh, who does a, work, a lot of work on trust and vulnerability and empathy. I remember asking the lads when I showed them that video, I said, can you empathize with someone in a situation they, you, that you've never been through? A lot of them said, no. Okay. Well, well, yeah, because actually all you're doing is just recognizing, listening to them and going, geez, that's shit. That's terrible. I've no idea yeah. what that must be like. Tell me about that. Or thank you for sharing yeah. that. Like that's empathy. And working with shout where I'm texting people who are in dark places I have to recognize straight away that if I try and solve the problem, and I used to do this a lot with top, like I call it like emotional top trumps or negative top trumps. So have you ever had someone where you come along and you go, uh, someone's like, oh, I've had a really, really crap day. And then you go, you think your day's crap? Wait till you hear about my day. Or you say, I'm really tired. And they're like, why would you you did that like you know i've been i've been the one telling yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you telling me that you're more tired than me doesn't make anyone feel less tired like that's not helpful
1: it's a very british thing i think to do i think brits do that a lot yeah. they're kind of just like it's that uh what's that the notting hill bit where they're all trying to say how rubbish their life is to get like the last snack that's kind of it isn't it it's where you just trump it with something like oh you think that's rubbish but well, I've actually learned quite a bit from these chats as well, dealing with work and emails and stuff. I always wasn't too sure when someone poured out or didn't pour out, they just said something that had gone wrong in their day, in the email, in a working environment. And I just I start thinking about it a bit more like, as you were saying about empathy and, and sympathy and sort of like, be like, oh, I know exactly how that is. It's like, well, I can't say that. And I also don't want to just, you know, get on with, with the work. I want to address it. So I just said something like, "I'm just, I'm just thinking about, I'm just sending you good thoughts." am just, and that's just like, not trying to trump them, not trying to like undercut it. Just like, just acknowledging that you've heard it. It doesn't sound like it's yeah. a lot to do, but yeah. I imagine I thought actually, oh, I'd, I'd quite like to hear that if I did that to someone else. So I'll just, just from now on instead of trying to come up with like a clever response or something.
2: I've started doing. I do this a lot again on the platform where, uh, sorry, on Shout where. I'll just acknowledge what they said with a statement. So it's an empathetic statement. And it's just simply saying, that sounds terrible. I've no idea what that must be like. And that's it. And then like, they might go, is there anything else? Like they might be lucky. And if that was a conversation, it might feel a bit like that. But actually... Yeah. I use what I've learned over the last two years in looking at this and trying to be a better listener. And there's a book I'm definitely going to plug here, uh, which you guys like Kate Murphy. You're not listening. It's really good. I think if you could just even like in an email like that, like so much of our communication over email and text gets, we misunderstand each other. The amount of times I've had an email from someone, like if something's late, like I remember saying this when we were, when we were closing up and I said, listen, I am never going to, uh, text you and say why the hell weren't you on my lesson my online wonderful uh, zoom lesson last week or whatever uh, or you know the other day because I've not what is going on in their family like in the, in the global scale and the, like their immediate like I've no idea so we needed to get better at saying like you know uh, I noticed you weren't there and um, let me know again if there's anything I can do to help you catch. like the same thing actually happened where I, I hadn't been on the platform for a couple of weeks and if that was at work, someone would have said, Hang on, you haven't been doing this. You were meant to do this. Why isn't that done? It would be a bit more demanding, or it could be. Whereas the actual person who contacted me from Shout said, We notice you haven't been on it. We hope you're okay. Yeah. If there's anything you need from us, let us know. We really value having you on. Like, like if ultimately, if their aim is to make sure one is this person okay, and two, can they get them back involved in the platform because that supports us as an organization, then probably coming and going, where the hell were you yeah, yeah. <laughs> with that tone?
1: Probably isn't the best way to go. And that, that, that could be huge in the context of your day. That just even that email, That's like one email, can be like a big, a big deal for the wrong. The wrong email at yeah. the wrong time can be like butterfly effects right?
0: So, triple threat round. The loser, we'll flip a coin. The loser's got to do a song, a story, a joke. As soon as I lost last week, it's between you two, Factor and Mr. Sharky. Obviously, the, ge- the guest chooses as well. Hold on, it. Got it. What do you want, Sharky? Uh, go us. for
2: heads.
0: Oh. oh, it's heads. Sharky has won. Whoever calls has won, I think, every time.
1: I always forget what that means. Does yeah. that, that mean?
0: That means it's you, yeah. good Lucky.
1: Lucky. I actually, well, you know, I did, um, I managed to get away for, from lockdown. I, I got on a plane to Switzerland recently. Yeah, I mean, it's not a lot, to be honest, to write home about. But the one good thing about it, the flag is a big plus.
0: Nice. Oh classic. Classic. <laughs> That's the original. I think guys, goes what I said. Yeah, thanks a lot, Sharky, Cheers, by the Sharky. way, just for coming on. No, by lads. Onwards and upwards.
1: We hope you enjoyed the show and best of luck to everybody receiving exam results. We hope you get the right outcome. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at All Chats Pod, and please subscribe. Thanks for listening.